Welcome to Marrow Masters, sponsored by Farmer Sicklis and Jansen and Cadman, a Sanofi company. The National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, established in 1992, strives to help patients, caregivers, and families cope with the psychosocial challenges of bone marrow and stem cell transplant from diagnosis through survivorship. Season 7 of our Marrow Masters podcast series focuses on chronic graft-versus-host disease and the long haul some survivors face. Unfortunately, chronic GVHD can last for months, even years. This season, we dig deep and hope to provide some relief. We talk to the experts, from healthcare professionals to survivors and caregivers, about the long-term struggles, setbacks, victories, treatment options, and more. We offer an abundance of resources and address all kinds of GVHD-related issues, including despair, advocacy, mobility, nutrition, sleep issues, caregiving, reproductive and sexual health, intimacy, and more. Our guests share their expertise and insight to help those frustrated and struggling with chronic GVHD to persevere and live their best life. Here's your host, Executive Director of the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Peggy Burkhardt. Welcome, everyone. Today we have Heather Yonker, a dietitian at the John Thorer Cancer Center at Hackensack University Medical Center. This is going to be great. Heather is going to share her expertise today regarding so many issues related to graft versus host disease and diet. Hi, Heather. Hello, Peggy. Thank you so much for being with us today. So let's talk about chronic graft versus host disease and how your center addresses the many dietary needs of GVHD sufferers. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, Peggy. I want to begin by saying this is a very important platform, and I'm very happy that the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link has invited me to to speak on this. So I just want to like begin by saying that nutrition on a whole is extremely vast. And you know, there are so many aspects to healthy nutrition. Nutrition focus on graft versus host disease you know, adds another layer to being well-nourished. And, you know, our goal is really to minimize malnutrition and get that patient through the very rough period of chronic graft-versus-host disease. I'm not able to touch, of course, on all aspects within this time frame. There's so much to talk about when it comes to nutrition. And as you know, every day there's something new being spoken about in reference to healthy nutrition. But I'll do my best to touch on the most important nutrients that affect our stem cell transplant patients as they deal with chronic graft versus host disease and its complications, and as diet and nutrition plays an important role at this point. So at our center, we do take the multidisciplinary approach uh, as a really important aspect in care of that patient and care of all patients. But in reference to our stem cell transplant patients and our GVHD patients, It takes the village, as we say. Registered dietitian nutritionists are an integral part of this whole multidisciplinary team and in the management of the patient. So the team usually consists of, you know, the doctor, of course, the nurse practitioners, advanced practice nurse, research nurses, social workers, pharmacists, and a number of other healthcare professionals. I work for a very large center. um, So we have an array of uh, team members that I closely work with to take care of each and every one patient. That's terrific. Yes, I think so. So tell us more about the nutrition intervention aspect. Uh, In reference to nutrition intervention, specifically with the chronic graft versus host disease patient, it really can vary, varies a lot, depending on the extent of the issues being experienced. A lot of these patients have long haulers disease, as we call it, or long-term issues. 
things that spark up every now and then. So it really depends how severe and how mild the cases are. But as practitioners, we may need to follow up, you know, every two to three days if it's an acute situation or maybe on a weekly basis. You know, we try to wean them down to the least amount of time that they can come to the center. And I think patients appreciate that very much. I bet they do. So let's talk about the many issues that GVHD causes as it relates to the lungs, the gut, the skin, the muscle mass, the hair. Is there anything we could have left out here? (laughs) I think we got it all covered. I know. It covers a lot. (laughs) It covers a lot. From the beginning when the patient is uh, diagnosed with their disease and then they go through this long time of treatment, they're acutely ill and then they hit a chronic period. Most patients think, you know, once they receive their stem cell transplant and then they move on and that's it. And for some, it's just like that. But for many, it's not. I want to begin by really saying that I can't stress enough to them that it is paramount to keep your healthcare professional in the loop. It's extremely important. We strongly encourage our patients to let us know when they have noticed anything different happening in their bodies, that if they're not coming as often, they may recognize things themselves. But if they don't let us know, we don't know how to treat them. So we really do ask for them to communicate with us as much as possible so we can manage them better. So Heather, I'm going to stop you there for a sec. When you say healthcare professional, are you talking about when they're back home in their community, that professional or the professional at the center? Well, that's a good point, Peggy. I guess each and every area differs. For us, many patients go back to their local towns and they may see their local oncologists or their local hematologists. But for a while after transplant, patients come back and forth. They come to our, our major, we are major transplant um, center. So they come back and forth here to our center. Okay. And then we graduate them back to their local oncologist. For instance, I just met a patient um, today, this morning, ironically, who hasn't been here for three years, huh. but end up having some gastrointestinal issues and decided to actually, the wife actually made the phone call to our transplant physician who said, you know, make an appointment, let's come in and dig deeper into what's going on. Wow, that's a long time. So if several years later, and that was the right thing to do in their case, obviously. It was, yes, I believe so. Okay. Um, of course, today is the first day I, I saw them. And um, they were treated here for a long time, a number of years, uh-huh. uh, maybe four years or so. Then they moved to a southern part of the state. They're being followed by a hospital there, which is not a transplant center. It's a cancer center, but it's not a transplanting uh, center. So they felt that whatever is going on currently may have to do with uh, chronic graft versus host disease. I'm not sure yet because today is the first day I'm seeing them, but with our physicians, we are digging a little bit deeper. They called me in because the patient's having severe issues with tolerating food. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So the GVHD is very, very complex. It is. It's, it's, it's super complex. And it can really affect the way the patient's daily pattern and their life goes. As using this patient, I just gave you as an example. But to answer your question that you posed earlier, the most frequent issues we see with graft versus host disease is the gastrointestinal issues, GI issues. Of course, we see lung and we see skin involvement. 
Uh, we have clinics for our patients that they come on specific days. Um, GVHD, chronic GVHD, I should say, can occur as little as after 100 days or as far as two years later or even beyond. We have to keep abreast and, and follow our patients pretty closely. Okay. I have another quick little story. I have a patient who was also very stable for many years, and she contracted an infection which kind of um, ignited her GVHD, her GI graft versus host disease. And she now has to be on a variety of medications to help control her symptoms, which her major symptoms is persistent diarrhea. Okay. So after being stable for so long, we're now working on proper meal planning, minimizing trigger foods like fats and fatty foods, lactose, even fiber, and reintroducing these foods gradually into her diet. Uh, so it does come. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say you're almost like a detective. Almost like a detective. Yes. It's a lot of <laughs> FBI work going on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, during the period when they are having, you know, an attack of whatever it might be, whether it be vomiting, diarrhea, abdominal cramps or whatever it may be, these medications are warranted, right? Mm -hmm. But they can lead to major side effects. And especially like using a steroid, which many of them are on as first line treatment and the anti-rejection meds, they must take them, but they come with a lot of side effects. So I do a lot of symptom management. Um, so I, like I mentioned, GVHD can be daunting, can affect one's life. Many patients develop this fear of eating, which often can lead to, believe it or not, forms of malnutrition. Wow. So using the example I just mentioned to you, the patient I, I saw today, he was 178 pounds five years ago, and today he's 103. So without, and I'm not quite sure exactly, you know, I have to dig a little deeper, but this is not uncommon for patients who they may continue to lose weight and, and it spirals. They may figure that they're going about their business. He's a mechanic. He's still working. And why should I even seek further help for this until they really hit a wall? So I want to stress the importance of early intervention when they move back to their local towns or back to their local doctor and they see an issue to speak up and see what can be done. But for gastrointestinal, it's the most nutritional involvement involved with chronic varicose disease. Because that, that uh, lining of the stomach, the lining of the GI tract gets really damaged. And this leads to like uh, improper absorption of food and nutrients and all these factors affect the patient's nutritional status, right? Sure. So they have difficulty eating. These patients um, experience nausea, persistent nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, changing taste in the mouth, a cycle of weight loss that could take months or years, um, or anorexia, no desire to eat at all. Sight of food, the talk about food sometimes turns them off. Um, a common issue that we also see is that loss of muscle mass, where the patients become very, like, very loose, very flaccid. Uh, this can usually pose a real challenge for rebuilding the muscle mass. Sometimes patients can gain weight, and, but the difficult thing is building that muscle mass again. For all of us, it's a little difficult, <laughs> much less for someone who is um, very sick or malnourished. Sure. Some of the other comorbidities that we see based on their dealing with um, some of the medical issues, some medications, is uncontrolled blood sugars. They may become diabetic 
go diabetic temporarily until they are off their steroids, and sometimes requiring insulin to manage them. As a common thing that we see is extremely um, elevated cholesterol levels and triglyceride levels as a side effect from medication. Uh, so we, we, we work really hard to intervene with medication and diet therapies with that so it doesn't lead to heart disease because that is an issue that can definitely happen and we've seen it. But it's due to the long-term medications. That makes sense. So some of the other side issues that we see that we, I may intervene is with a lot of patients complain that they're just not able to tolerate the foods that they like. And a good example is with lactose. Many patients cannot drink a glass of milk that they grew up on or that they've always done because of that damage to the GI tract. Very often we see with graft versus Sos disease, they're not producing an, enough of that enzyme called lactase that helps to break down the sugar found in milk, which is lactose. Oh, okay. Hence the need for a lactose-free diet. So many patients, and thank God, in today's world, we can have an array of lactose-free foods that we can purchase. In other words, yogurt and milk and cheeses and so on. But when they are very inflamed or very uh, in the process of being not able to tolerate things, they cannot tolerate milk very well. So we have to kind of temporarily place them on a lactose-free diet. And that calls for a lot of education. Or maybe a lactase enzyme, which is an enzyme that they could take with their dairy product, dairy food, which helps to break down the sugar in the food. Okay. Wow. I'm learning a lot here too. Yeah. <laughs> And I've seen patients who have done really well with digestive enzymes, enzymes that help to break down fats and carbohydrates found in the food that they eat. Sometimes we just recommend, and, and we don't always think of that first, but a digestive enzyme, for some people, it will work because it depends on the intolerance that they're having. And how do you get those digestive enzymes? Thank you, because I was just about to mention <laughs> Before anyone decides to go take a digestive enzyme or buy it, because you can buy it over the counter, any GVHD patient really wants to consult with a healthcare professional first. Consult with your nurse practitioner, consult with your medical doctor, with your dietitian before instituting anything, even though it can be purchased over the counter. Good to know. You can buy it in any grocery, yeah. But you just don't want to do it on your own. We want to do, there are certain tests that we can do to decipher if it is a carbohydrate intolerance, if it is a fat intolerance, if it is a, is a lactose intolerance. Although these enzymes may not be harmful, we want to make sure we're targeting the right thing. Absolutely. Let's talk about weight loss a little bit. Okay. Because of all those issues I just mentioned, weight loss is evident. It happens. It's my patient. I just give that example from 178 over the years to 103 this male looks very emaciated, um, but early intervention is the key. Okay. Once you start noticing that they have dropped, um, you know, just a few pounds, because you can tell when you start feeling weak and you're losing weight rapidly and you're eating or your appetite has changed, you need to consult someone in your local clinic or you call your transplant center where you were transplanted, even though it's years later, and hopefully they will intervene. Okay. Right. So, Heather, how does that go hand in hand with oral care? I've got to imagine there's possibly, you know, sores in the mouth, things that can yes. contribute to not wanting to eat, right? Oh, absolutely. So we see that a lot as well. GVHD in the mouth. Um, 
or side effects from medications where they may develop sores or very sensitive or they have loose teeth. Mm-hmm. They, that's another call we had today. We had, I had to call someone whose teeth were falling out and now they have been fitted for dentures, but not quite yet. So what do you eat? Um, we stress the importance of oral care from the beginning, from the time you walk through the store. We stress that importance because we know treatment does affect it. There's a lot of, not just from the graft versus so disease, but from just poor care of the mouth or not going to the dental appointments and so on. So simply rinsing your mouth after each um, meal is important. Simply rinsing with warm water, a dilution of warm water and salt. Grandma's old uh, recommendation, <laughs> uh, baking soda diluted in water, rinsing to kill the bacteria. Okay. Or using mouthwashes that have been prescribed to you. If it's necessary because of sores in the mouth or tenderness or dry mouth, then the dietitian can make recommendations on, um, on food. In other words, soft foods, um, soft, simple foods that are not irritating. Some foods are more irritating than others, like very citrus foods, like oranges and tomatoes and so on may not be your friend at that time. Pureeing foods, like my patient this morning, he purees everything. He just makes a combination, some combinations we may not appreciate, you know, like like sticking sausages and an egg and rice all in the same blender. You know, that's not a combination that most of us would eat, but he doesn't mind. And his wife is doing that for him, his his kids, and he just kind of sips on that. Good. Whatever works. Sure. Because you don't want him losing all that weight. So that if he can stomach that, that's, that seems to be an answer. Exactly. Exactly. Even intervening with things like oral supplements, like homemade shakes mm-hmm. um, that you can do with your home blender or a commercial um, supplement like Ensure or Boost supplements, as, as an example. There's so many on the market. Orgain, which is an organic product uh, that you can have. But we teach them how to add calories to those foods because you can amp the calories up quite a bit by adding maybe ice cream or amp the protein up by adding a whey protein powder or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, think of Tropical Smoothie. Look at the business. Exactly. <laughs> the business they've created out of this. A big business, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we prefer when the patients actually are doing their own or using one of the medical nutritional supplements like Ensure Boost or something like that. As opposed to buying one already that's, um, I don't want to call it name brands, but buying one at a juice bar or something like that. Okay. Because if they are still on heavy-duty medications or they have hit a wall at some point um, where they need to start medications again, um, like a steroid, their immune system becomes affected. I teach a week, uh, along with my colleague, we teach a weekly class on food safety. And that plays a, a major part of their whole treatment and recovery for a long time. So one of the things we recommend back on the oral care, if they're drinking uh, milkshakes and smoothies and so on, we prefer, you know, if it's easy to go to the, the little juice bar and pick it up, but we prefer if they don't, just because you want to be super careful that your vegetables and your fruits or whatever washed properly. Oh, that's a great point. I'm glad we're talking about this. Yeah, because they still, they're still susceptible to becoming sick from a foodborne illness. Yes, yes. Okay. What else can we talk about here? Maybe the skin and hair? Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to talk a little about the skin or the hair. I got lots and lots of questions about that. 
Um, let me start off with skin first. I want to just say that with GVHD of the skin is definitely first line steroids, of course. But nutritionally speaking, hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. I can't stress that enough. It's important that patients are drinking sufficient amounts of water or any kind of liquid that's appropriate for them. Now, I'm speaking very generally, but if a patient is diabetic or they can't tolerate certain milkshakes or whatever, of course, we will make recommendations based on that. But just using it very generally, just hydrate whatever you can, because obviously you're moisturizing your system, you're moisturizing your skin by doing so. Very good. Not mentioning keeping yourself regular. Um, I know it's easier said than done. And not to mention by hydrating, they're also giving the needed support to their kidneys. So their kidneys are, are functioning properly. Oh, good point. If they're looking for ways to hydrate, you know, water may get monotonous, it may get boring. But you can add fresh fruit to water, dilute juices with water, use seltzer water, teas, you know, milk. Mix it up a bit because it can get a little monotonous, right? Sure. And I also recommend that they have, try to do, have a glass of something wherever they may be, or a container, a bottle. So if they're sitting watching TV, there's a bottle of water to their right or whatever. He's taking a sip periodically. Mm -hmm. Moisturize, moisturize, moisturize. You know, of course, for women, women are much better at this than men are. <laughs> Just by nature, you know, we love to put on that nice, pretty smelling moisturizer. But many patients may forget to do so because they're fatigued, they're tired. It's just another thing to do. But it's important that they ask their nurse or their nurse practitioner, whomever they, they see in the clinic, what's appropriate for them to put on their skin. Because they may not be allowed to use perfumed products on their skin because that may be irritating to very dry skin. Okay. Now, with graft-versus-host disease of the skin, you're not talking about a little bit of dry skin. You're talking about pretty severe, sometimes flaky irritated skin. Mm -hmm. So you have to be very, very particular and make sure there are no perfumes. But we have, we have a host and there's a host of information also that can be given to them. Well, and Heather, I'm going to mention that if there's anything you want for the show notes, mm -hmm. any lists or any uh, sources, we can add those to the show notes for everyone to check out. Okay, I do have. Yes, great. What else I want to say? We talked about the oral cavity. We talked about the skin. Uh, by eating foods that are healthy, balanced fruits and vegetables, an array of them, not only are you getting an array of antioxidants, but you're getting some fruits that have water as well, naturally packed with water, that could help hydrate the skin as well. So that's also very important. But we know that teaching patients to eat well-balanced and having a well-balanced meal planning is important from many different aspects. Um, let's talk a little bit about hair growth. That's a common question no matter where we are in this cancer center. With our graft-versus-host disease patient, it's, it's really, really a very common question that they get. Not only emotionally becomes an issue, um, and many of them are referred to a social worker who makes, you know, really sound recommendations on things that they can purchase. But in reference to nutrition, you know, we recommend balanced diet eating an array of high antioxidant fruits and vegetables like oranges and, and when they can have berries, again, well-washed berries like blueberries or strawberries, raspberries, a whole bit, to our green leafy vegetables. Because all these nutrients, you know, like spinach and kale and collard greens and broccoli rob, all those provide an array of, of nutrients. 
So nutrients like vitamin A and vitamin C, which helps with hair growth. Uh-huh. And it helps to nourish the hair follicles. So in other words, along with the medication, along with a big dose of patients, it would help the hair to regrow. So including, you know, focusing on nutrients like the B vitamins, like vitamin B6 and B12 and biotin. So foods like sweet potatoes and carrots, lean animal proteins like lean chicken and, and fish and so on, eggs, omega fatty acids like fatty fish, like salmon and sardines, trout. All these kinds of foods I just mentioned are packed with healthy nutrition that helps to uh, nourish our skin and our hair follicles and so on. Notice I didn't mention much about taking a multivitamin or, um, you know, we, we really do want to push whole foods first before we push a supplement. Okay. But if that's warranted because you're just not eating sufficient amounts because the appetite is affected and, and for a period of time, you want to discuss that with your dietitian, discuss that with your nurse practitioner, and a recommendation can be made. Very good point. Thank you. Yeah, I say that because each, each and every patient is at different points in their recovery with their graft-versus-host disease. Some people are just as normal. They may have a touch of graft-versus-host disease and they're eating very normal. So, uh-huh. But there are those who have all the issues that, as I mentioned earlier. Wow, this is terrific. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. Sure. Is there anything else you want to add here, Heather? You know, it's a lot of information. I want to just talk about some tips on improving one's intake that would help with weight loss, with some of the things that we mentioned earlier, if there's any um, issues with lack of appetite and not being able to ensure they're getting enough of these nutrients. So some recommendations. One of my biggest take-home I like to say is Maybe when you're not feeling so well, eating small meals that have been spread throughout the day. Mm -hmm. That's one of my best recommendations I can make to a patient at any point that they're not feeling so super. Maybe every two to three hours to have something, whether it be a half of a sandwich or a yogurt or a, um, I don't know, some cottage cheese with a little piece of fruit at the side or something like that. Peanut butter and crackers, cheese and crackers. Mm -hmm a bowl of oatmeal. You know, it doesn't have to be this fantastic large meal, but there's something that is packed in nutrition every couple of hours. That's great advice. Yeah. Uh, ways of adding protein to help rebuild their muscle mass. They've lost, you know, lean protein choices, eggs, nuts, seeds, like pumpkin seeds, tofu. Um, try to make sure they're adding calories to kind of minimize any further weight loss. So there we go again, small meals often because it just sometimes a large plate of food is overwhelming. Okay. Consuming, you know, whole milk versus a fat-free milk, which they've been trying to do for years and years. They may have to switch up a little bit for a short time. Um, yogurt, you know, keeping a journal of the food if they have an issue with their weight actually writing it down or have a family member write down what you're eating. Because sometimes when you actually see it on paper, it makes a difference. Absolutely. Right. And that's something that you can provide to your dietitian to do a calorie count. We actually can calculate exactly how many calories. That works really well, actually. Patients are usually shocked how many calories they're not consuming huh. or maybe how many they are consuming. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Great idea. Yeah. I once heard that when people have 
active graft versus host disease, they also are burning more calories. Is that true? Yes, yes. The metabolism is usually revved up. They're on a ton of medication. Yes, it's just hard to keep up with the amount of calories sometimes, even though they are not moving as much, right? Uh Uh-huh. They could be burning a lot more calories. So they require more calories during that period of active graft-versus-host disease. Interesting. They require a lot of nutrients, not just calories. They require more protein, require more calcium, require more magnesium, some of the micronutrients, magnesium, and so on. It's a whole big picture that I'm kind of touching kind of a little bit on each and one of them. Not fully, but you know. Yes, yes. This is terrific. What about exercise? Let's wrap things up talking a little bit about exercise, Heather. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. So exercise is extremely, extremely important. And at our center, from the beginning, post-transplant, when they're in the hospital receiving their transplant, actually, we stress the importance of exercise. Actually, I, I, let me bring that even further. We Before they even go into the hospital, we start talking about doing some form of an exercise Why? It becomes routine. And routine is kind of important as they go through their recovery, which can be for as long as a year or or more. So we stress the importance of walking, just walking around the block. You know, if it's too cold in some parts of the country, you know, we say walk within the house, walk around the dining room table, maybe. Or learning, uh, very often many patients will receive physical therapy after transplant. Okay. And then physical therapy comes to an end because they may be not moving for a long time. So the muscles become very weak. So they need that physical therapy. But that comes to an end sometimes, right? Pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So use some of those exercises that the physical therapist taught you to use, just some chair exercises and so on. We really stress that importance. We make them walk down, up and down the hallway a few times a day, not to fatigue them. If they're out of breath, of course not. But Once you've recovered and you are on with things, then that should be part of your routine. Exercise is important to build your muscle, to build, you know, healthy bone structure. Mm -hmm. It goes hand in hand with good nutrition. Absolutely. Oh, Heather, this has been great. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to say, I know it was a lot as a mouthful, but I'm I'm really happy to impart whatever information I can to the audience, (laughs) you know. And if it's just one or two points that someone takes home, it's quite helpful. But I do want to say again, I want to thank you very much, Peggy, and thank thank the National BMT Link, the Bone Marrow Transplant Link, for this opportunity to share my knowledge. And I want to say, if you're seeking any further information for the management of your graft-versus-host disease symptoms or on any healthy nutrition, please discuss further with your dietitian or your healthcare professional. Um, Seek information from online, you can from the National Institutes of Health. They have mm-hmm. a wonderful, very basic information. The AICR, the American Institute for Cancer Research, has nice hands-on information what you can do for long-term survivorship. Wow, this is great. Thank you, Heather. I think we covered it all. Thank you. So enjoyed talking to you today. Oh, I do appreciate it very much. Thank you so much, Peggy. This has been the Marrow Masters Podcast. If you know someone who would benefit from the information in our show, please share this episode with them via text, email, or social media. Don't miss an episode of our show. Follow the Marrow Masters Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now. 
To connect with the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, visit nbmtlink.org or follow the link in our show notes. The Marrow Masters Podcast is produced by Jagged Detroit Podcasts.